0: hello and welcome to today's episode of accelerating texas k-12 education i am your host jw marshall with summit k-12 and we're so glad that you found us today on this episode we have not one but two great guests First, we have with us Cynthia Bishop. Cynthia, how are you doing?
1: I'm great, JW.
0: And Cynthia is the Associate Director of TARS, which we'll get into in a moment. And we also have with us Michael Lee, Executive Director of TARS. How are you doing, Michael?
2: I'm doing great, JW.
0: Excellent. And we'd like to start this episode as we start every episode, and we'll start with Cynthia. Give our audience a little background by telling us who are you and what do you love about what you do?
1: Well, what I'm doing right now, as you have said, I'm the associate director for the Texas Rural Schools Association, short-term TARS. And I love becoming a part of this organization because my heart is in rural schools. Being a product of rural schools and a lifetime educator, I know that rural schools and their values are exactly what are aligned to, to what I want to see happen for our youth and uh, I spent 20 years as a regional uh, education service center uh, deputy director in two different um, uh, regions. And uh, my focus there was primarily on rural schools and their success. And so this just aligns with me and my passion completely.
0: I love it. And same question to you, Michael. Who are you and what do you love about what you do?
2: Well, I'm, uh... I'm a former retired, I'm a retired superintendent of a small rural school, and I was involved in the Texas Association of Rural Schools as a superintendent, and on the political front, and I realized that people from small towns and a long ways from Austin can still have a very positive effect on what's happening in Austin. So when the opportunity came up uh, for me to take this organization over, I put in my application, and uh, it's just What I love about it is traveling the state of Texas. Without the pandemic, I can put about 40,000 miles on my pickup and uh, it gets me people all over the state of Texas that are involved in education and look at the student success all across Texas.
0: I love it and and we'll start with you and we'll dive right in. Tell us a little bit more about TARS and tell us about the importance of the role of that advocacy, of uh, that lobbying for the Texas Rural Schools.
2: Well, uh, TARS started in the early 1990s uh, because uh, we our primary focus is on school districts that are called uh, smaller mid which is 5,000 students and below, although our largest uh, school is 26,000, and it's more about rural values, but we focus on funding. Uh, a lot of organizations uh, in education at, in, in Austin representing, you know, umbrella organizations, or like TARS, we uh, serve a niche, and we have a strategic partnership with another organization called TAMS. We're a small school. They're mid-sized schools. And then Mo Casey and Associates also, which is probably the premier, uh, one of the premier organizations when it comes to school funding, and uh, they, they, they pop out data like crazy. They're, they're wonderful. So uh, that strategic partnership works very well for the schools that we represent, which is about 800 school districts the state of Texas.
0: Wow. And talk to us, uh, either of you, a little bit more about uh, the impact that you can have. You said a small uh, voice can have a large impact, Um, impact on cost savings um, to communities and school districts.
2: Well, that's how I got my start as a school superintendent. Uh, You know, the legislature made some laws that increased our costs. So I went to then Senator Till Bivens, that dates me a lot. And uh, literally, he had us write a bill. So we went to one of the larger organizations. They wrote the bill. And then we put it through the process and did that. And then did the same thing for my community uh, for, not school-related, but uh, so we could use taxpayer you know, sales tax for current retail, you know, just in sparsely populated areas. So it's amazing. You know, bills are a result of problems that someone's had somewhere and then going through the process is a, a big deal.
1: And I think I would add to that, that you know, the funding is imperative for the programs, for the curriculum, the instruction, and everything that is transpiring uh, to prepare our youth for a successful life after they graduate from any of our rural schools. And so in order to do that, the funding must be in place. It must be um, stable and consistent, otherwise we cannot build uh, the successful learning experience for our students to really help them um, choose and plan for the future that they desire.
2: I was just because they said it's you know, it just goes back what one of my teachers told me one time, you know, Michael, it's not always about the money. I said, yes, it is, you're a successful teacher, you do great for our students in our school, but if I didn't have the money to support what you did, <laughs> we couldn't be doing it, so you wouldn't be here it here doing is about it. the money.
0: Yeah, and I think that's really interesting that you're uh, solely focused on the money, on the lobbying, and the representation, so while you don't um, work with professional development for your area, or for rural schools, or uh, curriculum, things like that, you are a critical point uh, that really allows these other organizations um, like TREA, to, to do a lot of their work. Uh, but you also uh, have some very strategic partnerships, which you mentioned earlier with TAMS and with uh, Mote Casey. Tell us a little bit about um, how those relationships started and, and when did they go from uh, uh, collaborations and partnerships to real strategic partnerships?
2: Well, the TARS and the TAMS have a long history together. And again, you know, TARS is considered the small schools, but we both focus on the same, you know, that. And so uh, when I became associate director four years ago, uh, our officers and directors wanted us to reestablish that relationship, and we have. And then uh, especially when uh, Dr. Greg Gibson came on with TAMS, we worked very well together with TAMS prior to that and in this last session. And so we just collaborate because we do the same things. And then when we brought Mo Casey on, Uh, or worked with them, we didn't bring them on, but when we started working with them and developed that partnership, we had the data that we needed to take to the legislators. And it was data that they knew was accurate and correct. Because of all the organizations that provided data, theirs was as accurate or more accurate than others.
1: And, And you know, the other part of that with the strategic partnerships and with all of our sister organizations we each have that thing that we do for the districts that we're serving, but together as a united whole, um, we can really access all of the best of the best resources for any district regardless of their size. Because if I don't know who it is that beyond financing where you know we serve, if, if I need to reach out to one of my other sister organizations to find that resource for one of our districts. That's what we do. It's all about connection, and it's all about networking, and it's all about relationships.
0: And it's all about students, of course, as well. Um, So talk to us a little bit about the active role that an organization like TARS uh, and its district leaders are taking to prepare students for success post-graduation and these opportunities that can be open to any school district participants.
1: Well, I think one of the uh, most recent accomplishments that we've had is in the area of career and technical education. And so um, I I, want to pitch it back to Mike because I want him to really talk about what TARS um, did in saving is not the right word, but in uh, preserving that funding allotment for small to mid-sized schools and it even had a a positive impact for the larger schools as well so why don't you tell them about that
2: Uh, well we we came on when uh, before the 86th session uh, and they had i think it's called the uh, commission on uh, public school finance so we you know observed that worked with some of the legislators in that of course uh, representative hubert t senator taylor were greatly involved in house bill three in the 86th session and uh you know, that people of that work that they had done there. So uh we we worked that and uh, you know, the the small and mid sized school have a funding formula, uh, because in the smaller school districts you have a diseconomy of scale. You know, we don't we don't have thirty students in a classroom to generate funding. We have 10 or 15. In fact, when I was an interim superintendent, we had 7 or 8. So the, the uh, funding formula has kind of helped these school districts to uh, hire teachers and, and have the amount of funding they need to survive. Uh, there was a uh, problem with House Bill 3 when it came to career and technology for the small and mid-sized school districts. In fact, I learned about it when I was up in Region 8. And uh, there was a superintendent, retired superintendent named Johnny Zolman who found this problem. And so once we found Johnny and this issue, then we worked with him. And it was because of that we were able to correct this. So uh, to give you an example, there's about the small and mid-sized schools uh, were missing out on about $170 million a year. Funding for that, were, that was promised to them in House Bill Three, so we came back and we put uh, career and technology back through the small mid-sized formulas, which generated 230 million dollars for these school districts, uh, increased in revenue. And when we're talking career and technology, we're talking about students taking courses in welding, electricity, cosmetology, you know, uh,
1: health, health, health health,
2: restaurants, yes, at school I was at, had a young man uh, graduated, you know, with his, that beginning nurse deal, whatever that's called, can't think of it right now, but, so these, these students are graduating with these certificates and can go into the workforce immediately, and so that's a big deal uh, for those students, for the students, it's a very economical way in the the state uh, to provide that money to these high school students, and they don't have to go necessarily to to, to post-education. So it's a great deal for everyone. Now with our work on the CTE, Career and Technology, the larger schools benefited from it uh, because uh, between TEA and and Representative Wilson, I believe, they came up with a tiered system. So uh, again, that just helps school districts once they get their CTE aligned correctly they can generate more revenue, which means they provide more opportunities to make our students successful. Wow. So it's a it's a really a big deal. And and Tars we worked with our there's about ten organizations you know, with whom we work. Sometimes our niches will conflict, but we work closely together on the areas. Uh, you know, like CTE, you know, we weren't the only organization that worked on this, but we were in the forefront with them and and, uh, and worked with the other organizations to help that because in the capital, everybody has relationships, and when we work together, we can access more relationships and improve our chances for success.
1: I'll add to that. I'm I'm new to TARS, but I'm not new to rural schools, and so I think one of the most uh, promising and positive things that's happening is the partnership that is occurring between all organizations and so when we look at that strategic partnership that existed between TARS and TAMS and Moat Casey and then the end result of that because of that uh, pristine data I call it that we handed to the legislature um, not only were rural school students helped but Kids that are going to school right here in uh, DISD were helped as well. And so that saying, and I hear Michael say this a lot TARS wants to be the tide that raises all ships. And so as long as we are out there working together, then we are going to create these opportunities that make things better, not only for the rural schools. And uh, the students in Texas but also our urban and suburban uh, students as well.
2: Let me give you an example there. <clears throat> it's not always about getting bills passed. It's recognizing those bills that will cause harm to school districts. Mm-hmm. And in the 86 session there was one of those bills and we had an attorney, it's one of the partners with TARS, come in and testified uh, on that bill. And so I took her around to several key offices of the legislatures on the House Education Committee, and that bill, D.I.S.D. would have been a target of that bill, or any large district, and more so than the rural schools. But the rural schools would have been targets also, and because of that, that bill was I think I believe because of because of our work that bill was left in committee and died in committee. And so that's part of our work. It's not only about trying to find more money, it's trying to keep schools from losing money because of lawsuits. Uh, This bill would have made it much easier for lawsuits uh, against districts without going through due process.
0: Well, and as your example with the CTE, also making sure the bills that do pass get implemented yes, properly right. um, for whatever reasons—if it was a miscommunication or uh, you know something where the money didn't go where it was supposed to go—to help be an advocate to make sure that that gets implemented properly is really important.
2: And, and in that process with CTE, we worked with Representative Lambert in Abilene, that uh, had the vision. Who had the vision to? Uh, for small schools to join partnerships in the summer and provide courses in the summer and school districts get funding for that also because your teachers, your equipment, your facilities are all there. And so it's not adding much cost and adding much more opportunity. Uh, There's been some roadblocks that for the small districts to be able to access that funding. So some of our work this next session will be taking down those
0: roadblocks. I love it. And so you're very active, obviously, in some big projects, Mm -hmm. Um, but tell us a little bit about day-to-day, week-to-week. What kind of uh, communications and value are you adding to your members? And then also, uh, imagine a lot of your members are superintendents and district leadership in rural districts that uh, are A part of a lot of organizations um, and maybe not all a part of all the organizations that they should be in why should uh, any district superintendent or leadership person be a part of TARS as well as everything else that they have on their plate
2: well let me talk to that and talk to the school board members Uh, you know I told you as a superintendent I was involved with two bills in two different sessions and to get those bills passed, uh, I traveled to Austin a lot, and my school district spent about ten thousand dollars each each one of those years for me to come down. They benefited greatly, but they still spent ten thousand dollars. Well, you're hearing a you know a, a lot of argument against taxpayer-funded lobbyists, and you hear this big number. I think it's forty million dollars been put out there by. Other organizations that we work against and that sounds like a large number because forty million dollars is a lot of money Mm -hmm. this organization is always asked but what is the percentage of budgets and they never have the answer well that answer is less than one-tenth of one percent so when you're looking at that and you're looking just at your CTE revenue uh, you know if you spend five thousand dollars to be a member of all these organizations, and you have all these people working at for you, then you're spending less than one ten percent. Your return on investment is astronomical. Uh, one superintendent uh, told me you know they weren't going to be able to join us again had to cut costs, so I just replied an email, all right, that's fine. I understand all this. Here's what you paid for our organization. Here's your increase in revenues, so your return on investment is about two thousand percent, and uh, they they signed up with us. Uh, so it's more efficient, and because even though Cynthia and I are working down there all the time, these other retired superintendents, there are so many bills that we can't keep track of it. So, I think superintendents, board members, think of it like our nation. We have all these different militaries, Mm -hmm. but collectively, they keep our nation safe. So on a much lower scale, much lower scale. You uh can have all these districts. There's a lot of things going on in Austin that's going to help you or harm you or whatever. You need to know that information. So you have these organizations working for you at the capital to protect your school districts and your students and your student success. And so that's what we work towards. At, that's our role and our function. And it's kind of a checks and balances in a way. So
1: You know, and it's all about the effectiveness, the efficiency. And you know, rural schools are very creative, very imaginative about how they can um, take what they are given and make the most of it. You know, I'll I'll use a term, they they can get uh, blood out of a turnip. That's That's really showing my rural upbringing, but that is what they do. And they are very committed to the success of their students and to their communities, and you know, if if one student matters re- regardless of where they live, whether it's in the metroplex or where it's in the rural parts of our state, uh, if one student matters, they all matter, and so we just want to serve in in our niche, but then we also want to connect and interact with. Um, all of these other organizations, because that's where the strength comes in terms of protecting all of us.
2: You know, one of the things we do is uh, we get the superintendents connected with their legislators, you know, by going to different parts of the state. And uh, we had several of those meetings before the uh, 87th session. Uh, two things that happened. We had, a uh, you know, back in West Texas, El Paso, Midland, Odessa, There was a new legislator coming on as part of that meeting so we had that meeting and he called me at eight o'clock that night do you have time to talk about this with me well of course you know so we we talked and explained that to that legislator uh we had another one around austin so the staff of one of the legislators who was very involved in the cte uh called me and said, do you have time to explain this to you? And I said, sure. I had my computer and my PowerPoint and Internet in my pickups. I pulled over. We held a, you know, a Zoom meeting. And I went through it and explained it to them. So it's it's not the work in the session. It's the work prior to in establishing those relationships.
0: Well, I think what's really powerful is you're bringing the voice of the rural schools to Austin, but you're also bringing Austin to the rural schools so they don't all have to travel to Austin to stay up to date. You're even making connections with legislators in their areas for them. Uh, You really are bringing the conversation to them and at the right time with the right information, you know, so that you can have the most impact. It's really uh, inspiring the work that that y'all are doing. Um, And we get on the cell phone and say, Mr.
2: Superintendent, we need you here at this time. Please come into town and talk to your legislator and
0: testify. Make it easy for us. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to get back to another topic that you brought up, Cynthia, um, around innovation. And there's been a lot of innovation by necessity through the pandemic over the last two years at all levels, local, state, and national. And I think what our audience might be surprised to know is that innovation is no stranger to Texas Rural Schools. Before the pandemic, you've been uh, in innovating by necessity because of the limited resources you have, uh, whether that's money or space or uh, you know, whatever it is, access to certain things that just aren't all prevalent in a rural area, talk to us a little bit about that innovation and, and maybe give some credit to the rural schools for some innovations that uh, maybe have uh, picked up steam at the smaller levels and then a big district implements from that model and they get a lot of the credit. Uh, just talk to us about the essence of innovation in Texas Rural Schools.
1: Well, I think one of the, I hope this will qualify, but one of the, one of the most effective uh, innovations has been what we call shared service arrangements. And I want you to think of, uh, in a rural area, um, we do not have a, a tribe of um, speech language pathologists. We don't have the licensed school psychologist, the LSSP, um, we may not have Um, those uh, qualified individuals to determine whether or not a student is uh, qualifying for dyslexia services. But in a shared service arrangement, you are coming together for effectiveness and efficiency to serve your students and serving them by sharing those high-dollar salaries uh, so that every student, if they have a need, that need can be evaluated and it can be met and it can be planned for in terms of educating them and so i think the rural schools have done that so brilliantly and not all of our uh, legislators or um, decision makers really understand how that is is transpiring i know that in other parts of the state we have a rural rural school innovation zones where we are bringing together the different um career and technical education you know you may not have a welder but this school over here may have a welder and so we share in that and then they are also leveraging um, the the capacity of zoom or google meet or whatever and connecting industry leaders with these students so that they can begin to learn about careers and what they want to do for with their lives you know post uh, high school uh, graduation and so it's just that creativity and innovativeness to just think outside the box and do whatever it takes to serve our students and Michael may have something that he would like to add to
2: that. I think uh, I would love to. You know me well don't you so Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know the you know, the, the legislature has, you know, meetings during between sessions, and one of the things that's going on now is the Commission on Special Education Funding. So the shared service arrangement is going on right now. They brought in a lot of people uh, from the larger districts to talk about special ed funding, but what we noticed that the small and midsize school, and especially our special education co-ops, were not being mentioned. So we were able to go to two of the legislators who have a lot of rural schools, and so TARS and TAMS put together a panel that testified at the last meeting, and this panel consisted of a mid-sized school superintendent, a small school superintendent, a special education co-op director, and a CFO who not only worked in large schools like Midland and Lubbock, but who is now working in the small school, so he could bring on this wealth of knowledge throughout his career, and that panel was great. You know, Their testimony collectively lasted about 40 minutes, and then they took about 60 minutes' worth of questions. So that brought our small and mid-sized. Had it not been for our organizations, that would have never occurred. So that's what we do. That's what we do is we bring these issues to the legislators, and we do. Get welcomed. We do get invited to testify, like in this case, on occasion, and we brought a wealth of knowledge uh, to the panel. So, and then the other innovations. You know, we're in a right now. School districts are facing a very critical teacher shortage. Well, the small real school has been dealing with this for decades, and you know, our little schools, you know, we'll will bring in a Spanish, you know, teacher. Through something like Zoom, mm-hmm. or something or before Zoom, some kind of technology along that line, uh you know the calculus teachers, things like that, foreign and language foreign language, yeah, all those things and uh you know and so that's uh, you know that was represent in uh, Ken King when he first came on that was a big deal of in his when he came cause he's from Canadian Texas at my panhandle. and he was able to uh you know bring in bills that provided more of that opportunity for our, our small, mid-sized schools, but it's opportunity available for all school districts.
0: And and to wrap up this portion of the interview, uh, talk to us about the impact over the last two years on uh, technology, and are we closing the digital divide in rural schools, there's also been the, uh, the thought that rural schools don't have as much connectivity or devices, things like that. have we started to bridge that, and is, is there more work to be done in that area?
2: Well, I will tell you this. <coughs> uh, we're connected out in real Texas. Um, of course, connectivity everywhere. You always have your problems. I uh, took on an interim superintendent at the very beginning of the first COVID. And I will tell you this. The connectivity and all those things work very well for those students who are motivated or whose parents are motivated and are at home. Uh, to monitor it, we're monitoring it, but for the other 90 percent, it's not near as good as a teacher in the classroom. Mm-hmm. It's just not because that teacher in the classroom keep them focused, keep the thumb on. This is what we're doing. Keep your focused. So, but we have expanded our opportunities for students through Zoom and those kind of meetings. Uh, we have. We're a lot better than we used to be back when I was a high school counselor, you know, in the mid-1990s. You know, it's just amazing how that's improved, and you can do anything now. So uh, these opportunities are available, but we do not, we still need our teachers. We still need someone in the classroom to keep these kids motivated, and that's what we do. Uh, to help provide the opportunities for school districts to be able to do that.
1: And I believe that our rural schools um, are utilizing devices. They are utilizing Chromebooks. Uh, Some of them for the K-1-2 are using iPads or some form of tablets, whether it's, you know, Samsung or uh, uh, Lenovo. I can't say all of those, but um, yes, because kids are acclimated to technology. um, And... Um, I love what Michael is saying in that the devices are great, uh, the connectivity, it can always be better. It can be better in my home right down the road, um, and I have the best of what's being offered by one of our companies out there. Um, But having that uh, digital world connected to that human world through a teacher that loves and cares for their students is really the formula for success for everybody.
0: Absolutely. And I actually had the pleasure of interviewing um, Sal Khan from the Khan Academy yes. uh, earlier this year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he even admitted, given the wonderful Khan Academy or any kind of software and a, and a good in-person teacher, he would 10 times out of 10 pick the in-person teacher. So certainly I don't think the technology uh, can ever replace teaching. Uh, but we do want to make sure that students have access um, and equity. Um, along Absolutely. with the the midsize and the large districts as well. Uh, and then uh, districts locally can choose how to best leverage that technology. And it sounds like that divide is closed, at least in the last couple of years. And, and, and there, it, it, hopefully moving forward, it'll be a misconception to think uh, rural schools don't have devices or don't have connectivity. Hopefully we can eradicate that and they can be on a level playing field with everyone else.
2: They provide their hotspots. They do everything. I will tell you this. I taught trigonometry 30 years ago. And I came back and taught trigonometry for a semester at a rural school district, and uh, I didn't have YouTube the first time, but I did have the YouTube the second time, and I used some of the cons lessons. If uh, my students didn't watch them, i watched watch them so I could teach them how to deliver the subject. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's uh, the resources out there. I guess that's the other thing. The resources out there for teachers are just amazing. And uh, so it's just a matter of getting them directed, go use this. and and ask your questions, and, uh, you know, I tried to flip my classroom, but my kids wouldn't let me, so I went and did the lessons, and we just had it the regular old way that they're used to doing it, so, but they were always on a trip for athletics or some kind of something, so I would record my lessons, and then they could watch them uh, while they were on the trip.
0: Absolutely, and all that took funding. To have those resources, to have those teachers, to have the facilities, to have the students uh, able to travel for sporting events, all takes funding. So we'll end there, but we will have you back um, uh, later this year, and uh, we're also going to work on a panel uh, where we can have you Absolutely. Uh, join us along with Tams and Mo Casey and uh, maybe others. We'll see, uh, because this is such an important conversation. So thank you, Cynthia. Thank you, Michael, for joining today. Thank you Thank so you, JW. Much. And to our audience, thank you so much for joining another episode uh, where we dive into the issues and uh, the exciting progress we're making to accelerate Texas K-12 education every week. Thank you again and remember to always, always keep learning.